Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Robin Barr. Hello. We also have Bill Graham. Woohoo! And with us today, a very special guest to talk about the movie Armageddon Time. It's Robert Daniels. <laughs> I love this needle drop so much. <laughs> <laughs> now perfect. is the perfect time to explain that I didn't have an opportunity to see this movie. So I'm here uh, in a, in a like uh, adver- advisory capacity to help usher this show along. But I didn't know what the hell to choose for music. I literally know nothing about this movie. So I chose a movie from the hit film Armageddon. <laughs> That's Classic. that's that's the connection. That's, I hope uh, you all are that's a super deep think right there. <laughs> everyone had to, like that had to be very obvious to everyone who was listening. Like, you know, yeah. people like, oh, I get it. Armageddon. We've all got seven people audience. who are listening to our Armageddon time episode heard that and were like, <laughs> I understand. It was all seven people who saw this movie. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, it would have been eight if I had had any time to go. Yeah, out and you see were this movie. not among the seven. I could have increased in almost exponential capacity the weekend take for this movie. This is a horrible way to begin talking about a movie. Anyway, Robert, it's been literally over two years since you were last on the podcast to talk about the vast tonight. Why don't you take an opportunity to reintroduce yourself to our listening audience? Hey everyone, I'm Robert Daniels. I am a freelance critic based in Chicago. Uh, right for just about every place that'll have me. <laughs> um, <laughs> these places include the, the New York Times, the LA Times, uh, Rolling Stone, RogerEbert.com, the playlist, a whole bunch of places. Those are good places that, to have you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they surprisingly haven't kicked me out yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> you must be doing something right. <laughs> well, we... well, actually, uh, sorry, to include that, I wrote the review for... Um, on um, Armageddon time for Mashable. So I should include that too. Yeah, hmm. definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, you know, climbing down from the Mount Olympus of movie writing to wallow in the muck with us here on the film stage show. Um, <laughs> I, hopefully. I was born in the muck, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who wants to bust out a Bane impression? No. <laughs> My husband could, but I could not. Get him on the mic, Robin. Uh, he's making me some whitefish salad. So, speaking of Jewish movies, what the fuck is a whitefish salad? That sounds like the worst thing on earth. No, it's the greatest thing on earth. It is smoked whitefish. Okay. In like a creamy. <laughs> okay. It's pate. You're, it's you're, fish pate. You're aware of how terrible this sounds, right? If you love tuna, if you love bacon, you will love whitefish salad. Okay. Okay. That's like awful. a smoky tuna salad. <laughs> it's very creamy. Stop this saying the word creamy. <laughs> it's great. I love it. How creamy is it, Robin? Um, super creamy, not super chunky. 
I don't know if that's better or worse. We're moving on. I need to get, I need to stop thinking about creamy smoked white fish. Mm, I can uh, never stop thinking about it with a slice of red onion. God, mm. what does your breath and bowels <laughs> smell like? I mean, again, I'm Jewish. Uh, okay. Anyway, uh, Robert, so great to have you back. Super excited to listen to you talk about Armageddon time. Uh, before that, the usual stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. You can email us, podcastfilmstage.com, and give us a comment or rating on iTunes. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash show to give us your money. Uh, this little $1 an episode helps to help us produce this podcast. And, of course, we are brought to you by Mubi, an exceptional curated streaming service that showcases films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a brand new film. Whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, it's guaranteed to either be a movie that you have been dying to see or one you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover. With movie, each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch. Instead, you'll actually be watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. And I wanted to talk about uh, a movie release that is out there right now from 1994. It's Lars von Trier's The Kingdom. I'm going to mm, a classic. A classic indeed. <clears throat> Here is the synopsis. Spiritualist Mrs. Drews, I don't even know if that's how it's pronounced, tricks the doctors <laughs> into admitting her into the neurodesurgery ward of the Kingdom Hospital where she discovers the sounds of a weeping child in the elevator shaft. Swedish consultant Dr. Helmer is confronted by the results of his sloppy work treating a brand-damaged patient. Um, there are numerous episodes of this show on Mubi that you can check out. I have a question. Yeah. Was this, yeah. did they make a, like, was there a, is this a Stephen King thing? Was I think there, there was like an a... American remake, but mm, I think there was. Maybe I'm like conflating it with Rose Red or something. Cause you remember like in the 90s. No, I also confuse it with Rose Red and I don't know why. No, I think he did like an American version of this, like at a hospital. I'm looking it up right now. Cause like there was like, uh, uh, do, do people remember like the, the mini series boom of the nineties? Yes. I lived it. Oh, it was so beautiful. Like every other week there was a thing about, Fucking like on basic cable, right? Right. Not it was basic like ABC, cable, like, uh, like ABC Tuesday yeah, and Wednesday, a two night event, four hours, mm -hmm. an asteroid's coming to Los Angeles, or like you know, this woman was abducted by aliens. It was beautiful. They, every '90s fear was well represented by TGIF cast members who were. Or cast there would be like a dinosaur. Like right. people would go back in time, and there'd be dinosaurs. Yeah, and it was like, uh-oh, killer bees are coming. Uh-oh, uh, there's a hole in the ozone layer. I'm sorry, no. are they predicting now? <laughs> are, is killer bees still a thing? Wasn't it like, oh, no, I'm thinking those uh, other stinging No, insects. those are murder wasps or whatever. No, okay. murder hornets. Killer bees, murder yeah. hornets. I'm talking oh, about Africanized honeybees. <laughs> are killer bees near extinction? Right. I would hope I feel like so. I remember reading that. <laughs> yeah. Because it's I mean, good riddance. All um, right. So, so there was Kingdom it, Hospital. 
Yes, came out in which... 2004. And wow, that was 2004. Was what the fuck? Developed by Stephen King, but it was based on the Lars von Trier's The Kingdom. Okay. Inter- okay, so so right in a way was I. I did not realize that was 2004. Man, the older you get, the more your past compresses itself. Oh, God. Yeah, and it had anyway. Bruce Davison and Ed Bagley Jr. How many white-haired people can we deal with? <laughs> did they have white hair back in 2004? I guess they I probably don't know. did, right? Oh, man. Anyway, a uh, U.S. man comes out of coma after being stung 20,000 times by African killer bees. This was September 1st of 2022, so they're still out there. Keep your goddamn eyes peeled, people. Um, anyway, or they'll peel I, them for you. I, <laughs> I will continue to uh, do research on Africanized honeybees uh, while you all talk about Armageddon time. So by the end of this podcast, <laughs> hopefully I will have some answers for our listeners who right now are deathly afraid of killer bees. Just call you producer Brian for this episode. <laughs> Yeah, Professor Brian, what do you say about this? I am, <laughs> I, I, I deputize Robin to act like, uh, what's his face? Joe Rogan. I'm Jamie. <laughs> All right, or, who's or typing Matt on Matt. a typewriter? <laughs> oh, sorry. God damn it, Bill. Were you looking up killer bees? <laughs> no, that's really not. All right. Okay. Anyway, sorry. back to I the movie. I stepped on plug. your turf. It's, <laughs> yes, yeah, stay away. I'm the one who's checking shit out. Anyway, back to the movie plug. Uh, if you would like to see The Kingdom, the the original basis for Kingdom Hospital, developed by Stephen King, dumb, um, all you got to do is try movie free for 30 days by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. That's movie.com slash filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. So do that shit. Um, yeah, uh, like I said, I didn't get a chance to see Armageddon Time. Very sad. I love James Gray. Uh, I, I dug at Astra really liked the immigrant feel like I've seen other stuff visit. I like, what was it? The lost city of Zed. That's another gray, right? Dug that shit. That's the thing that I liked Charlie Hunnam in. Isn't this his like whole thing? Like this movie is, is supposed to be his magnum opus. It's like his life, right? Like it's just, yeah. And you missed it. Yeah. I didn't miss it. It's not like it aired for one day and then was <laughs> cast. It was a two void. night event. <laughs> Yeah, and then he came out on stage, burned the only copy, and shot himself in the (laughs) head. Um, Speaking of magnum opuses, uh, I'm just going to, like, steal some spotlight here to talk about uh, Lessons, the newest film by uh, writer Ian McEwan, who we've talked about once or twice on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, Love him. Probably favorite. Yeah, he's your homeboy for sure. Yeah. He's my, my homeboy from way back. Uh, I was talking to someone about it, and I was like, I've been reading Ian McEwan since I was 13. And she's like, that's impressive. It's like, no. I was reading his early stuff, his fucking weird stuff. I should not have been reading that at 13. Okay, if a 13-year-old is reading Ian McEwen, you know that they are fucked up. Like, oh, that's 100%. a cry for help. Again, especially, I'm not like sitting here reading Atonement being like, oh, lovely British people. I'm reading like <laughs> The Cement Garden and being like, this brother and sister are fucking. Like, it's his first four what novels. Was it, an HBO up. show? What? said what is it an hbo show yeah you'd think so uh it's the original game of thrones um (laughs) but anyway lessons is fantastic if you if you like reading the english language check out lessons the newest film or the newest novel by ian McEwan. i've been like a little down on some of his more recent stuff i i still haven't gotten through machines like me in all honesty and i i heard not great things about um Fuck me, I can't even remember what the name of his satirical novel about a cockroach that becomes the prime minister was called. 
But uh, this one was like a full goddamn swing, like for the fences, and he hits a home run. So, lessons by Ian McEwen. It's great. That's it. All right. We can talk about Armageddon time now. I've done my thing, I've stolen my spotlight, and I'm giving it back to you guys. So, let's get ready to talk about Armageddon time, a movie that, again, I have not seen. So, I'm just going to read the IMDb synopsis a deeply personal coming of age story about the strength of family and the generational pursuit of the American dream written and directed by James Gray. Uh, this also stars Anne Hathaway and Jeremy strong. Apparently I'm seeing Anthony Hopkins in a photograph here. So I'm going to assume he is also in it again. You're so knowledgeable. I'm, I am a perfect audience surrogate here. I stumble unaware into this movie. Oh, what's this? What's this lovely piece of American cinema that was made by one of our contemporary masters. I wonder if this was any good. Oh, look, three incredibly charismatic, knowledgeable people who can tell me about this movie. I can't wait to listen to this podcast. (laughs) Before we do that, how about we listen to just a little snippet of the trailer? The United States stands for an idea whose time is now. Ronald Reagan will win tonight. What a schmuck. <laughs> I think I want to be an artist when I grow up. You're going to be an artist if you want to be. Nothing's going to stop you. You're going to college. You'll have dinner with kings if he plays his cards right. Mm-hmm. I really like your stickers. My stepbrother gave them to me. He's in the Air Force. <laughs> All right. That is a clip of the trailer for Armageddon Time. I have literally no concept as to how well that represents the movie you are about to hear about. So let's begin. We start with our nutshell thoughts, and uh, let's begin with our guest, Robert Daniels. What are your thoughts on James Gray in general and Armageddon Time in particular? Um, you know what? I usually love James Gray. You know, as you were kind of rifling off titles, I was like, love that, love that, love that. Don't love this though. No. <laughs> You're telling me that this movie didn't have like a monkey that rips a person's face off and zero gravity. I wish that would be fucking awesome. <laughs> I wish five out of five. No notes. It's in the eighties, right? That in the no- in nope, right? Like I've got plenty of monkeys ripping people up in that movie. Uh, that's true. Yeah. But Ad Astra is the original, you know, monkey ripping faces off in a place you wouldn't expect movie. Yeah. I mean, a truly a masterpiece of the form, but, um, but no, I mean, I wasn't a fan of Armageddon time. Um, and there are quite a few reasons. Um, uh, it's got a great cast, but I wasn't particularly enamored with a single performance. Um, I also despise the lighting in it, which I will talk about in great detail about why I despise the lighting and why I think it's so terrible. Um, and then um, I also just the central component, which is the relationship between these two young kids, one being a white Jewish American, the other one being an African American, um, just fell into uh, the t- same tired tropes, like the defiant ones that um, I don't find particularly interesting or revolutionary, even though I think that James Gray really is trying to grapple with something that happened to him years, decades ago. And I think is doing it in a very complicated way. And in a way that I, respect and admire but just did not hit on my wavelength all right sounds disappointing that's that's very made that makes me very feel very sad to hear let's see what the others thought robin Barr. yeah um 
It's a complicated question to ask if I liked this movie because it, fundamentally it it was a movie that was that I felt a bit taken with in the moment um in the sense that I enjoyed like the aesthetic experience of it um I grew up not far from from you know where the film is set uh, it's in Forest Hills Queens I grew up on Long Island I'm also Jewish um so a lot of things felt really familiar to me and really authentic to me. It feels authentic to the time period. It feels authentic to the culture that it's depicting. Um, and we'll sort of get into it, but there's, there's one particular scene where they're over, where they're sitting over dinner and there's all this just like yapping and yammering that just felt totally realistic to me. Um, and I really felt, uh, I mean, you use the word enamored, Robert. I felt enamored by Jeremy Strong. Um, in particular, because he felt so realistic to me uh, because of how I grew up. And, you know, there again, there's a very interesting scene with him that totally blew me away. Um, I also thought Anthony Hopkins is very good, even though, you know, he's probably as far from like an old Jewish grandpa as you can get. Um, but he delivered <laughs> something here. So I uh, so those were the things that really made me just like feel like, wow, I'm watching something. I don't find the movie particularly special. And, you know, what I really, I guess, question looking, you know, when once I got out of the movie theater, I was like, why does this movie exist? Like, I felt like I was questioning its like whole reason for being. And I think, Robert, um, you and I might t- talk a lot more about that because it's it's a white guilt manifesto, essentially. Um, it's a white savior movie. It doesn't go to this. It doesn't go where exactly where you think it will, because it just it like lays out kind of everything that happens, but it doesn't really move forward from that. And we'll talk about that. Um, so, you know, it's not a movie I can necessarily recommend to other people, but what I liked about it were the culturally familiar things that like James Gray really delivered on that aspect. But I will kind of look back and I think, what like why does this movie exist um and that's like a deeply existential question about you know the very root of the film um i had another thought about the film but i can't remember what it was well i oh i decided that it was the dark and gritty fablemans um which i haven't even seen yet but <laughs> there's so there's so much about this where i'm like okay we get it like, i have to you're I an have artist to interject here to mm-hmm. to say that i i ha- I, uh, I have had trouble keeping this movie in my brain as a thing because mm-hmm. it and the fablements and then i reach mm-hmm. back in time to get certain women or no what's the oh 20th century woman yes i always confuse those so again, there's four movies just swirling around, and I'm like, right, right, I'm getting time. That's that's the way. And then it doesn't help. I don't know if I, I swear to God, I've never seen a, uh, a trailer for this movie. But this movie's trailer begins literally the same as 20th Century Woman's trailer, where yes. it's like, let's watch yes. the president on TV. And then it's like a famous statement. And then like the leader of the family saying something. So like in the 20th Century Woman one, it's like, you know, we are suffering from a crisis of confidence. That's, <laughs> I apologize for trying that. Um, <laughs> but that, it, it did remind me a lot of 20th century women for that exact reason. Like I kept thinking like, 
we get it. It's a commentary on the Trump era. Right. Like, and instead of Annette it, Benning being like, what? I thought it was a nice thing. We've got Jeremy Strong here being like, what a schmuck. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I grew up in a fairly conservative family who revered Nixon and Reagan. So that didn't quite land like with me, but I get it. Like I get what yeah. he's trying to do here. And, and it's really, I, I guess, like his version of memoiristic. So I don't want to say, well, that wasn't my experience. Those movies suck. Like, whatever. <laughs> but I definitely want to get deep into it because there are some really interesting scenes to unpack. And I'm yeah. curious what Bill thought. All right, let's find out. Bill, what'd you think? Meh. Um, <laughs> My three-letter uh, review. M E H. Meh. Man, I, I I really wish I liked this movie more. Um, I remember watching it, um, in the middle of the day and just being like, oh man, I could be doing so many different things right now. Um, which is never a good experience. That's not, that's um, not how you want to feel. <laughs> That's not how you want to feel, um, especially for something that is kind of potentially a awards contender that will be brought up in conversation uh, maybe, you know, later this year. All, I don't even know when the fuck the Oscars are, but, you know, all the all the December shit. March. Um, March. They're in March. Cool. Um, yeah, they move all the time. Who, who the fuck knows? Um, anyways, uh, so I really do wish I enjoyed this more. Um, so I think part of it is, yes, there is some like white guilt going on. Part of it is also just simply a factor of the main character, which is, you know, ostensibly James Gray as kind of a semi-fictional, semi-autobiographical kind of work of, you know, art, um, is a real asshole um, throughout this movie. Um, Except for one connection to A, his grandpa, and then the uh, black kid that he kind of strikes up a a, a friendship with. Um, Other than that, I didn't really see a connection with anybody in this film. And he is just a dick to his mother, all sorts of different people in his life. Um, It's really uh, offsetting in a way. And uh, like... I understand that 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 can be, you know, that's a realistic depiction if if James Gray is, you know, kind of being honest. And but it doesn't mean that it makes the film any more enjoyable uh, for that. So um, it was just tough to see him just kind of bouncing off of his family in a way that was. And and there aren't a lot of good characters in this film in general. Um, all of his family is kind of a mess in a lot of different ways. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was just kind of odd to have that kind of protagonist. And I think I think we've had a film not that long ago where it was also kind of, you know, the main character was kind of a dick and it was just like, man, this is this is sometimes hard to watch. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head what that film was. But um, anyways, that's kind of my main where like the main character was a dick. Uh, yeah, I mean, not a dick as in, haha, that's hilarious, but a dick as in, <laughs> Jesus, this guy's like fucking torturous to be around. This um, guy is in the 12 year old on screen. Yeah. 
Um, he's, so, he's a total. Oh, he's he's the a Babadook. Like, was 100%. it the Babadook? <laughs> no, that kid was possessed. That wasn't his fault. This one is like yeah. a demon child. Right, I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm scrolling through and seeing if we've watched any movies recently that like have got a a piece of shit prepubescent child in them. Well, I mean, Men, I, uh, I mean, I'm I'm not even talking about just prepubescent. I'm just talking about the main character, just in general. And general I mean, they, really bad. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I think that's my my main hangup with this film is he's he's just kind of a lot of times a tough hang. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Uh, other than that, I mean, I think I think there is a lot of interesting things going on in the film. There's a lot of interesting scenes. There's, you know, some some tragedy and things like that. Um, but yeah, overall, I just it was just hard to to stay on task and stay on focus on this film um, while I was watching it for whatever reason. So you saw this in like a movie theater, it. right, Bill? Yes, I did. Yeah, so yeah. that's rough because I know that like I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about like how my pandemic movie watching shifted my my like rating scale. Because mm-hmm. it's like if this movie isn't at least enough to make me forget the fact that I need to vacuum right now, like it's no good. You know, it's it's fighting that. So like if I could imagine seeing this in a house and being like, ah, oh, the dishes, uh, but like being in a movie theater, that's even worse. Yeah, I was in a I theater. Mean- <laughs> I actually watched this movie twice on my. On oh, my honey! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Brian's to... done that. Yeah, show... like honestly, I'm the one who likes it the most. But why? I just wanted to be sure of my opinion. <laughs> oh, no, I, I watched it the first time for um funny enough for for like awards voting, and I was like, oh, I didn't know I was going to review it. And then Mashable came to me and was like, hey, seems like you might not like this film. Do you want to review it? <laughs> <laughs> what, what awards are you voting for this early? My God. Oh, it was the Gotham Awards. So I, I was oh, on the, uh, the performance well, you know, committee. What's funny, Robin, you say that. I usually, like the, the, the WAFCA, the Washington Area Film Critics Association, usually votes like the first weekend of December. I haven't received a single screener yet. I have been, check your email nothing. I, I mean, I've gotten emails, but where's the physical screeners? Where's my banshees? Uh, I still haven't uh, seen it. Boy, oh boy, do I have news for you? Physical screeners probably not going to be a thing that much. Right, well, I have news for movie studios. You're about to start winning a lot less awards from Brian J. Rowan because the problem with the screeners, and I'm sorry, this sounds like such a privileged thing because I don't <laughs> pay for movies. They fucking expire. I do not have yeah. time to watch your movie in 72 hours oh it's especially well, bad when not only does it expire but it's also like also you only get to watch it like three times and i'm just like guys if i start those, and then like something happens with my daughter exactly and that's what happened with after son <laughs> yeah so i'm just like I couldn't pause it so i had to turn it off every time it's like core is the nightmare really that bad because if i pause this one more time and the site mm-hmm. refreshes it counts as a view and then i'm just like there's no pirates <laughs> I mean, is that okay <laughs> usually usually the award season screeners are like like a blanket login here's your password like it'll track you label you blah 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 but it's usually accessible until like fucking february or something like that yeah and I you have basically baby. have they're desperate for me to see their stuff 
<laughs> Which is good. Yeah, I like this so stuff. that's 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 usually not a concern uh, for the awards screeners. But yeah, if you get a press screener, you know, online to do a review, usually that has, you know, a 72 hour kind of time timestamp. And it's just like, oh, fuck, I forgot that <laughs> you gave me the screener two weeks before I was even supposed mm-hmm. to watch this thing. So. Robert, at yeah. the end, I want some bonus content of what your Gotham Awards choices were since you're on the performance committee. And that's really where Gotham shines, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. No, that's um, um, uh, I will say the, the, fi- the final people who were nominated were 80 percent of them were on my 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 short list. So, Ooh, well, you know, it was you. I want to know the 20 percent who were not. I got last. <laughs> she year, wants the dirt. Last year, I like I nominated. I got like no one that I voted for had a, like even got a nomination for a Washington Area Film Critics Award. And I felt really bad. Um, Yes, uh, I had a I had a thing I was going to say. Oh, yes. Uh, regarding the Gotham Awards. Are you worried at all about possible Joker attacks? <laughs> oh boy! All right, there's a mm, producer Brian. You you let the you let the talent talk here. <laughs> uh, Africanized Killer B updates in April of 2022. Uh, April 22nd, 2022. Actually, a swarm of killer bees had set up across the street from a San Antonio middle school, necessitating a complete rearrangement of the way students come to school. So that's what I've got for us so far. They're still out there. Uh, Fuck fuck that. Uh, Has anyone ever heard of a flamethrower? Yes, but, Uh, you know, I don't think you, you know, I don't know. Is that the thing that was in um, Inglorious Bastards? Yes. No, it was the thing that was in 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 Hollywood. Hollywood. Oh, okay. Well, sorry. Do you not know what a flamethrower is? Like you had to Robin, pull a, a specific movie. Blows <laughs> flame. It throws flames. Include flamethrowers. Uh, apparently, killer bee attacks are on the rise in Cochise County, so that's the thing mm-hmm. to be concerned about. So yeah, they're still out there. They're still causing havoc. I'm going to keep researching this. Anyway, back to the movie. I think. Are we done? Are we done talking about the movie? Do we just want to talk about the? Gotham no, Wars? I want to get. <laughs> well, I do. No, that's the bonus content at the end. Okay. So Off mic or on mic? Oh, on mic. Oh, okay, cool. That sounds fantastic. Um, I like the that. people that fall through the cracks. I want to know who almost but didn't make it. Drug addicts, well, uh, prostitutes, uh, on, street on drink. mic, but maybe not on pod. <laughs> well, yeah, Bill, we're not going to yell at each other from across the country. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll deal with it. We'll figure it out towards the end. But anyway, um, so yes, back to Armageddon time. I again, I'm just going to keep saying this. Haven't seen the movie. Uh, do you guys feel as though there's stuff to talk about uh, sans spoilers, or are you guys ready to like rock and roll? I think we need to section? dive in. Because I'll be yeah. honest, I still have no fucking clue what this movie's about. So as soon as we go into spoilers, I'm going to deputize one of you, or you guys can talk amongst yourselves about what the hell the plot of this movie is. I can summarize. Okay, great. We're going to give it to Robin since she has the lived experience to best explicate this movie to us. <laughs> Don't, get, <laughs> don't scoff at me just because I use the term lived experience, <laughs> sure. which physically hurt me to say. <laughs> All right. 
All right. Uh, oh, so yeah, ladies and gentlemen at home, that's uh, basic thoughts on Armageddon Time. It is a movie that exists that no one here seems particularly fond of or enthusiastic about. <laughs> so, all right, uh, we're now in spoilers. Robin Barr, why don't you give us a quick little rundown about what exactly uh, Armageddon Time is about? Is there an asteroid coming? God, I wish. Okay, so Damn. and and I I I actually liked this movie in the moment. I liked. You know, I liked what I saw. Was it was it innovative? No. You know, was it um, like did it touch me at a deeply moral level? No. But there are some good things here for me. So this movie is about this little redheaded cunt. I forget his name, and it's baby it's baby <laughs> James Ray, and he he's a third generation Jewish American. His grandfather. Um, escaped the Nazis or something like that. I don't know. His grandfather like came over here when he was young with, you know, his mother who had experienced a lot of trauma because of her Jewishness. Um, He lives a a privileged life. Um, You know, they're not billionaires by any means, but they live in a nice house in Forest Hills, Queens, which is a a very good area. Um, His brother goes to private school and his parents are very, you know, like they're they're what I would think consider like a classic uh, de facto racist family, you know, where they like do not want their children to associate with people of color, particularly black people. Um, you know, they have a lot of they think in a lot of stereotypes and James or little baby James Gray, I forget his name, um, is, uh, you know, he has a very special relationship with his grandfather played by Anthony Hopkins. He's the Anthony Hopkins is like the only one who can. Uh, steer the child correctly or like take the sort of chaos of that kid's brain and reroute it elsewhere. So he's like a kid who's artistically inclined, not super intellectually inclined. Um, You know, there's some question in the film of whether he has like certain learning disabilities um, it's sort of implied by the the school administrators that, that he does whatever that's neither here nor there, you know, it was 1980. Um, So his parents are just like, I can't reach this kid. You know, it's like a whole thing. Mm-hmm. And he's just a little shit. Like there's, and we'll talk about the scene, but there's a great scene. Great as in like jaw, like slack jaw. Great. Not like great as in I enjoyed it. Um, where he <laughs> kind of steamrolls over the whole family during a family mm-hmm. dinner. And then tells his mother, she's a shitty cook and orders Chinese food on the phone while they're like, get off the phone. And it's just like, grab this kid and throw him down the basement stairs. Like, why are you letting this happen? It's just this classic, just, it felt so familiar to me of just a child just overtaking the whole situation um, when Mm -hmm. he really needs some discipline. And yet his father can be a disciplinarian. And there's also a very interesting scene where uh, Jeremy Strong, like really lays down the law. But anyway, so that's like the background of the family. The kid, um, is in a new class. He's a, he's not like a troublemaker, but he's also, again, you know, he's sort of drawn to rebellion, you know, on a, on a very limited scale. He befriends a kid who um, is retaking a, a black child who's retaking the class after, I guess, failing the previous year. So he's already has like a, an adversarial relationship with the teacher. Again, it's 1980. There's no way that they would allow the kid to be in the same class with this teacher these days, but again, you know, nobody cares about this kid. He's quite marginalized. So James Gray's character befriends this person. The person is going through like some really tough times at home. Um, but 
you know, the I kept thinking, like, I want this movie to be about this this kid. And obviously it's not because it's James Gray telling the story and it's supposed to be about James Gray's like, I don't know, moving forward in his life, uh, understanding racism, blah, blah, blah. But again, I don't care about this kid. Like, I, I don't care about the, the main character. I wanted to know a lot more about what was going on in the life of of his friend who's suffering and you get some glimpses of it that are quite heartbreaking, but they don't really go anywhere. So the movie is about him getting entrenched in the, in the, uh, you know, quote unquote, the bad kid lifestyle and how his parents try to wrench him out of that. But he's not really a bad kid. Neither is really a bad kid there. The um, his friend is just, you know, like, dealing in a racist system and you see, and, and James Cray is very much commenting on that, but it's like, okay, do I really want this story? So anyway, that's the, that is the, uh, the summary of the film with some commentary from me. Yeah. The, the setup in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, I don't know. <laughs> the family is so much more interesting than what actually happens to the two children, because that feels sort of like, why are you going this way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's several several different worlds that are happening here that are colliding, I should say. And each one of the worlds, to me, is more interesting than the one that we get. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> each one of them, I'm just yeah. like, oh, I would love to be in this, like, more entrenched in this uh this Jewish American family. Oh, I would be would love to be more entrenched, even in this like the 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 private school that yes. this kid ends up going to. Oh, I would love to be more entrenched with with the with the the black kid played by uh Jalen Webb. Um I I would love all these. I don't I don't, pardon me, I don't care about this little white kid. And yes, I want to throw down some stairs too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I mean even Anthony day. Hopkins it's not every day that we like watch a movie and like numerous people are like, man, I wish someone fucking murder this kid. <laughs> like the, the kid is a good actor because he really makes you hate him. That's. <laughs> I mean, that's good. Look, generally human beings are, are, you know, mostly hardwired to not want to wish to see a kid push down the stairs. The real triumph of this performance is you want to see this kid fucking push down some stairs. <laughs> I just had flashbacks of like, I mean, of course, once again, I, I understand that everyone has the same upbringing. I came up in a, a uh, my dad's black, my mom's Latinx, and I just had flashbacks of what would happen if I acted like this kid. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's okay, but I'm just saying I had the same impulse. <laughs> well, the, the this thing is, and, and Robin kind of hints at it, is the dad does kind of lay down the law exactly. at one point. And it it is, it, and it it is not the only time that this has ostensibly happened. I mean, he, he literally fucking kicks down a door to get and start slamming on his child with a belt. And so it's like, okay, so that's a thing. And yet this kid during this family did like in front of family, right in front of multiple generations 
and extended relatives he is acting a fool and like <laughs> running circles around his mom and it's just like what the fuck like <laughs> is the dad not just gonna stand up and just be like fuck this yeah you know i mean at at the very least a go to your room is not even issued and it's just right. like what is going on? This felt very familiar to me. Like I have, I have been that child. Well, it's almost benign it's- neglect because it is one hundred percent the parents' responsibility to do something about this behavior. What mm-hmm. what I find that what what kind of took me out just a little it was after that scene, right where like he. Uh, the dad kicks down the door and literally beats the shit out of this kid. Me personally, I don't know about anybody else, but when I got whooped, <laughs> 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 there wasn't a moment afterwards where I thought, now's my time to stand back up for myself. <laughs> it's like the type of thing that you had to do in like an Irish family, like when your dad was drunk and was like hitting your mom, but you're like, okay, I just turned 14. I'm finally big enough to take this guy on. Like, but this kid is like so afraid of his this dad. Kid is slight. Yet, He's like <laughs> a pebble. <laughs> and yet he gets his ass whooped and he immediately is defiant again. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. I don't Truly, I was like, I, I don't know if white people are built differently, but I, that just wouldn't be me. Oh, no. Oh, no. They are not. I, I don't know what the fuck that was. First of all, again, <laughs> I will say when we get down to um, corporal punishment, it really, it really, it's not racial, it's definitely ethnic. So, like, you know, I would say, like, Italians and Irish are the ones where it's like at a certain like in a certain generation, there's almost always the story of I finally got big enough that my dad stopped hitting me. Like, it's just like, okay, whoa, Jesus Christ. But like when I was growing up, you know, I, I remember getting a sense of like. Okay, so my friend who was like the first generation, like born in America, Chinese immigrant and his parents definitely had that like intensity to them. But you never felt like it was going to get physical. I had my black friend. They put the the policeman inside his head. Yeah, pretty. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. they really took the communist dictatorship route of just like we control your thoughts and emotions. My black friend down the street. I always heard words about like, you know, you're going to get a whooping, but like I never saw it and he never said anything about it. Mm. Um, I had like uh, Mexican and Ecuadorian friends and like all my Latino friends. Like I didn't again, there was never I guess there was never like that much violence. I, I think there was like <laughs> some like it's a dab. Right. But it like, you know, it was like I think by I don't know. I never I never saw anyone get like. A, like the kind of woman that you hear about mm-hmm. I like you know you get like a spanking but like not even like a hardcore one just like uh there there was like a specific term for it like a swatting you know mm. like it was just one to let you know that a I'm not switching. afraid no because that involves a stick and okay. <laughs> I was never made to get a switch but like I feel like when I was a kid like I would get and I'd have to talk to my parents to know if this is a real memory or not but just like a quick like connection usually with the rear just to be like hey <laughs> like stop it we call that's that a patch in the tuchus <laughs> yeah exactly that kind of thing. i'm sure every culture has its own like just a little swat you know you got swatted you mm-hmm. didn't get whooped you didn't get beaten you didn't get spanked, the chunkla. You got swatted. 
the chocolate. So that's <laughs> yeah. Again, none of my Latino friends ever ever came to me and be like, "So my fucking ma threw a shoe at me." <laughs> they definitely wouldn't have said it like that because that's definitely the Italian. But I, 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 yeah, that's I. When I people suddenly the chocolate became a very popular thing to see in social in um not social media, just media at wide in society. Anyway, this has been Brian Roan expounding is- upon how people beat their children. <laughs> in your sphere. Because I remember yeah. stories from my grandmother, who was probably uh, a little bit younger than Anthony Hopkins's character. Um, and her parents came over here in the early 1900s. And the rule in the household was the boys get the belt and the girls get the hairbrush. So that's the, that the family lore. Very gendered. <laughs> yeah, well, I think one was a lot worse than the other. Apparently, yeah, no shit. The um. <laughs> I remember my dad would like joke about like getting the belt, and I never believed that he would do it. And like he would like, I don't even think he ever like showed me a belt. But it definitely felt like he was accessing something that had been done to him. Mm. but was only using it as a threat instead of like actually doing it much in the same way that like the honeymooners Ralph is mm-hmm. always like one of these days Alice right it's to the almost moon. part of their sexual play in the honeymooners <laughs> yeah but like you get the feeling that like probably Ralph's dad beat his mom yeah. but Ralph would never beat his wife you know yes it's just like yeah. it, it goes from actual threat to like a thing I say I'm gonna do to suddenly it's like a crime <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But the Jeremy Strong stuff was very interesting because I have, you know, I come from a long line of like rageaholics and I'm a, I'm like a baby rageaholic myself. Like I have a very low frustration tolerance. I, I don't act aggressively towards others. I'm probably more like I probably bring it more inward, but I mean, I freak out over the smallest things. Like if I can't close the dishwasher correctly, I will go into a tirade of cursing and kicking. So it's definitely a, a part of my, I think father's side of the family is very much like that. So a lot of what Jeremy Strong was accessing personally did remind me a lot of my dad. Um, he's also a very intense actor. So part of me is like, well, I see the, I see the actorliness to this role, but he he transformed in that moment for me in the scene in the bathroom. Uh, and that's why I think he'll be probably on my, my long list of supporting roles for the year. Um, because that really just that that's like a, sh- a shocking moment to watch because you don't see any consequences for that, the kid um, until that scene. And you're like, God, why aren't they doing this more? I mean, it's which is terrible because <laughs> I actually don't believe in, in child. Like I don't believe in, um, God, I, I don't believe in corporal child. punishment. Yeah. I, I can't I imagine just, what the fuck. I'm in education. Like, I already know that this is like not this. It, there's research behind why it basically doesn't work. It just repeats. Oh, I uh, imagine yeah. generational stuff. But I mean, there's also this fascist parent side of me that's just like the fucking <laughs> shit out of him. So he knows. I. I again, I can't imagine what Cora would have to do for me to like lay a hand on her. I have I have slapped at her hand mm. when she is reaching a towards baby. something that's going to hurt her more than <laughs> no, I will. No, let the baby do whatever she wants. Like she's like, oh look at that! And I'm just like, that's a fucking knife. Like slapping the hand away, but that's like <laughs> literally like if I were to tackle her out of the way of a car, like no one would be like, he just tackled that child. I you don't know. know. <laughs> there are some out there that would. <laughs> I I don't even I'm worried that you're not joking so I'm going to move on. Um 
But yeah, like I I have like raised my voice. We have had like serious conversations. I've lost my temper, but I've never felt the desire to hit her, <clears throat> which I guess is my way of saying Cora is apparently better than the kid in this goddamn movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Robert, what's your take on the on the Robert, you ever gonna know, beat your kids? Violence? <laughs> No, or just in the film. Just cut to the chase, Brian. (laughs) Let's be real about this. Let's go around the horn. Who's going to beat their kids? We know that Robin will. Bill, are you? No. (laughs) I know that it doesn't work, even though I have low frustration tolerance. I I will not beat my non-existent imaginary kids. (laughs) No. That'd be weird if you did beat your non-existent imaginary kids. That's the type of thing that gets you kicked off a city bus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what would what would happen if I give my small child boxing gloves and and said put them up? <laughs> it, okay, is that is that training. more fair? Yeah, that's I think training. that's. Are you also wearing gloves? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. then yeah, that's fine. I think that's fine. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I think you, I think that's that'll probably be it, and and it'll be like, listen, this is what's gonna happen. I am the boss until you can beat me. And for now on, I'm just going to run around the house with boxing gloves on every time you get in trouble. And, you know, this this is just how it's going to happen. It's like the great Santini. <laughs> like, is that what's happening right now? I'm <laughs> so like, afraid like, to watch that movie. I'm the like, boss I... until my son finally takes me out. Uh, there's a movie, Bottle Shock, uh, by director slash murderer Randall Miller. I should... I think I think he was charged with murder. He was definitely responsible. <laughs> you 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 find that out. <laughs> I know that I know that Randall Miller is the guy who is responsible for the person who died on the train tracks. Um, oh, okay. So let me oh. let me look this up and see what he was actually charged with. Manslaughter. It, I'm sorry. <laughs> Director <laughs> and involuntary manslaughterer Randall Miller. And in that movie. Chris Pine and Bill Pullman are a father and son, and they settle their arguments by boxing with gloves Mm. in a ring that is set up under a very picturesque tree in wine country. So, Bill, clearly you got (laughs) to watch some bottle shock and uh, get some tips on how to how to fight your fucking kids. But anyway, back I, to the question that Robin. I can just easily see my well before Robert gets into this, but I can easily see my kid being the little redheaded devil in this because I, because I was like that. Like I, mm-hmm. I ran the household, which sounds weird, but like I was just such a little shit myself. I could just see myself like repeating that. Um, especially cause we'll probably only have one kid if we do have a kid. And I think when you have an only child and this kid's not even only child, but I think when you do have one, it tends to be like, you don't tend to domineer over your only child. Like the child just becomes a part of the marriage. I think Um, (laughs) in a fucked up way where there's just like, they have nobody else. So then they're suddenly like up in your grill all the time. Um, So I I can sort of see that happening myself and just being like, get off the phone. Well, it is funny because, because the brother is kind of treated as if he's not a brother, as if he's yes. a cousin in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, at first I was like, who the fuck is this kid? This kid's a shithole too. And then I was like, it's his brother. I was <laughs> yeah. like, what the fuck? And I was also like, a neglected child. He's like a neglected kid because his yeah. brother gets all of the, he, his brother eats up all the air in the room. So he does just like, oh, this fucking kid. 
Yeah. Both of them are, are real shitheads. Yeah. Jesus. But Robert, you were, I think you were going to say something and I apologize. I have no idea what I was going to You're not going to, you're not going to beat your imaginary non-existent children. <laughs> no, I will not. I will not beat my non-existent imaginary children. No, I, I, I feel like, so I feel like the, the family life is so interesting. And so, um, Robin, you talked about like so specific and lived in, mm-hmm. um, that I, I wanted more of it. And mm-hmm. I feel like whenever Gray leaves that household, he's on sh- shaky ground. And I get that that's yeah. somewhat the point of the movie. Like he wants to explore that kind of shakiness. He wants to be the villain, so to speak, of his own story. And he wants to show how, you know, his, his growth as a person. Um, and yet, just about everything that happened outside of the family ringed false for me I, there was just mm-hmm, some, yes. something about it and specifically i think like and i'm talking about this right now actually but the aesthetic components of you know like being outside the household and the way that he likes this black character um who is played by jalen webb um johnny is his name um and jalen webb i think has a great performance and does great performance he's so good in this yes he does he and underused character. Yes, he imbues his character with a lot of personhood that I'm not necessarily sure that James Gray was aiming for. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think one of the ways that he's, his performance gets undercut, even if James Gray was aiming for it, um, is the lighting and how often the lighting um, kind of privileges um, um, what is it, Paul, uh, played by Banks Repetta, um, privileges him and you can see like you know his skin and his red hair glowing and yet we see shots where Jalen Webb is almost featureless and barely recognizable and it it totally took me out because if this is a film that is about James Gray finally processing this event in his childhood Mm -hmm. then why hasn't he rendered this black character as a full person with regards to lighting interesting yeah, and and you know we've we've gotten this a lot um, recently with like Moonlight and and some of these other films. I mean, you know, even even something as bright as like Wakanda Forever, right? Um, we can we can see black people and black skin, and kind of you know we can see it, it well represented on the screen versus this film it kind of treats that character as just kind of a, Oh, we didn't like the scene very well. Oh, well, you know, it's just like, what? Like, uh, you know, and it's tough because there is a a lot of use of natural lighting, but moonlight had that too. And so, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's tough because James Gray is also not, not black. And it's not saying that you have to be black to, you know, recognize that you're not lighting one of your main characters very well. Yeah. You'd think that might come up, you know, at some point. Yeah. I don't know. It's, 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 it's interesting to just kind of think about and, and kind of think about like all the, all the messages that are kind of in here and yet the representation is kind of also you know just i don't know the it, i mean most of this film is is kind of dreary and drab though um yeah. just in general so 
Yeah, and is, it's a kind of othering. And I, I do think that yes. Gray means to is means to other this kid. I think he he means to show how he can't see this kid's story because how would he ever be able to relate to a black kid's story, which I think says a lot about him. But yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh my god. But I think the lighting itself is othering in a way that he does not intend. There's also some camera movements that I think are very othering too. There's when there's a point where Johnny is sleeping in the shed of this mm-hmm. white kid, <laughs> this white kid. And like it's supposed to be a clubhouse, you know. But there's this moment where it's like pitch black and you can or not pitch black, but very dark. It's night, and you can kind of like you know, barely make out the, the the scene or the frame. And then like the camera does this pan down to like Johnny in this shed as though he's like some like escaped slave and he's like is the coast clear (laughs) it's it's a moment that i was like what is he doing and why is he doing this and why does he think it's cute because it was not cute to me it felt very othering in a way that i don't think he he at all recognized that is Mm -hmm. dark as fuck and this is crazy because like the i'm looking it up now uh what's his name darius uh kanji i don't know if that's how Mm -hmm. you say that but i mean like he's 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 uh cin- cinema cinematographer graft. He's he's lensed a lot of movies that I feel like don't have this problem. It's um it's pretty it's pretty wild. So like yeah, it, it feels like that must be some kind of choice that's being made and it sounds like it's a disastrous one. So I've I've kind of read that um lot like black critics are not enjoying this film. I mean, I black critics are not a monolith, but I have sort of seen, I don't know, I saw some commentary that like, oh, if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, like a lot of the critics who don't do not like it are black. And like that makes a lot of sense to me. Like that that this movie is trying to do its best to sort of uncover this like emotional experience that Gray probably feels like was life-changing in some ways for him. But I think the movie underscores how not life-changing it is for this character. And you think and I think we should go into spoilers here, but the ending. We are in spoilers. Um, uh, uh, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I thought we sorry. Were what I mean, we are. We are. But, for a while. but here's like, a, I know we are. What I'm saying okay. is like, here's a major spoiler. There is no moment of recognition for this character. He, um, he, there's some, like in trying to help his friend, he decides, okay, I'm going to bring him to my brand new school, which is like, uh, which is donated to by Fred Trump, um, which is Donald Trump's father. And so it's like, you know, a a sort of very snooty school. Um, The the kids are very racist there. And he decides, okay, to help my friend who is about to be picked up by social services because his grandmother is dying. uh, I'm going to, the two of us are going to break into the school, steal the computer or one of the very fancy computers that they have, which like no other school had at that time. And then they're going to pawn it off. And then, they go to pawn it and his friend gets arrested because it's clear that he you know, stole the computer. And then uh, Paul also gets picked up and then they go to the, the uh, police station and, you know, the police are very much like, Oh, you poor kid, like you poor white kid. How did you get like involved in this? And then, you know, he gets off on a, on a, his father knew the cop kind of thing. And then of course we know, we do not know what happens to Johnny like that, Wait, like uh, ever again? Ever again? What? Yeah, we don't. We don't find any. 
<laughs> no, we don't. We don't find out anything after that point. It, it is kind of hinted at that no, he's wait. he's going to take the blame. It is yeah. hinted at that he's going to take the blame and the fall. Basically, uh, you know. Um, Jeremy Strong has done a favor for the police officer in this scenario. Uh, one of the, I he guess like the lead investigator, his, his kitchen, or hot water like, heater. Yeah, he fixed like his water heater without uh, charging him. I guess you know it may have been just kind of a run of the mill, like oh, you just need to do this and this. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows how in depth it was, but he didn't charge him for it, and so the police officer kind of recognizes him and then, you know, kind of does him a little bit of a favor there, a little bit, uh, a lot of a favor there because his kid actually confessed to the crime. He was like, it was my idea. Johnny was just following along. Johnny didn't have this idea. I'm the one that figured out how to do it. I'm the one that, you know, brought it up to him. This wasn't Johnny's idea. This was mine. And it, it is this kind of powerful moment where he's, actually finally standing up for his friend for this black kid who anthony hopkins kind of in previous uh scene that's really powerful kind of is like berating uh the kid a little bit because he's like you can't just let people say shit racist shit around you and then not say something back you have to stand up because if you won't then nobody's going to and also those same dum-dums that are saying that racist shit are also going to say really bad shit about you behind your back right because if they're going to say racist shit in front of you then just imagine what they're probably going to say behind your back and so he kind of again it's it's this big scene where he kind of stands up for johnny in front of these police officers and you know it seems like they're both kind of maybe going to take the equal rap or you know maybe maybe he's going to be a little bit more trouble than johnny is maybe johnny's gonna kind of slide out and then you know his father shows up basically bails him out and the father has this really emotional scene when they get home and he's just like and you know paul is like please don't hit me like like let's just i think i think he says let's just have it out here in the car instead of like going inside and he's like i'm not gonna hit you like this is a lesson for you and you're gonna have to understand that life sucks and life is unfair and that you are privileged and you just got away with something and he's gonna take the rap and he's probably gonna get punished for this and life is just unfair and sometimes you got to take that unfairness and just keep rolling with it like you can't you can't dwell on it you can't like stop sometimes you just gotta take your wins and just keep moving and it's it's fucking heartbreaking because you're like holy shit what is about to happen to poor johnny who just wanted to escape and go to florida with his like i think his cousin or something like that um i i I have is this the end of the movie yep this isn't like the end of act one and then we jump ahead 10 years and he's like oh ever since that (laughs) day i've been haunted like Maybe, again, maybe this is just the fact that I read Lessons by Ian McEwan. (laughs) Ian McEwan writes books 
that are like cleaved in half, if not literally in the middle, but like there is always a before the thing happened and an after the thing happened. And so you'll read mm-hmm. like a part of the book and then you'll get to this point and you'll be like, whoa, what the fuck? And then the rest of the book is dealing with the, the fallout, fallout of that, whoa, from what the, the fuck? thing. <laughs> so like well, atonement, the first third of atonement is like, oh, it's hot and we have this thing going on and all this stuff is happening in the house and uh oh, someone just accidentally got accused of rape. And then you jump ahead like 10 years. And we have to handle that. So, like, you were in this book thinking, like, oh, look, it's like a it's like a hothouse kind of, like, British countryside story of class and everything. And, whoa, that's crazy. That just happened. And then suddenly you're like, we're in World War II now? And, like, the fact that <laughs> – so that's what I would expect. Hearing everything that you guys are saying, I'm like, oh, okay, that's – I could see how that would be an interesting setup that like gets left behind. You're telling me that's the fucking end of the movie. No, that's like, it. If that's I were... it. Just, like, what's the last scene? Like he looks in the mirror and he just sort of is like, oh well. Like I don't even think I don't even. Know that's I think what happened, I think there's that's what I there's, <laughs> there's 15 minutes later or 15 minutes of of basically 15 20 minutes of movie after that sequence with with his father in the car and then he, at some point like. Uh, Reagan wins and the whole family's like what a schmuck and then uh, you know we're gonna go to nuclear war and then during some kind of Thanksgiving dance which is uh, I've never heard of a Thanksgiving dance but okay Um, and I went to a private school I guess but that's fucking weird Uh, but uh, Fred Trump is giving a a speech and uh, Paul like walks out in the middle of it and just like brave okay yeah exactly I totally forgot about that I am that's this 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 is actually I wish that I would have seen this movie now because it feels like, like I like coming off of Lessons. This would have been like the perfect movie to watch because it sounds like this does everything wrong. Because Lessons is like Ian McEwen basically took all of the the biographical details of his life up to the age of like I don't know eleven or fourteen, like you know in that area, and kept them exactly the same. And then does something to himself that sends him spinning off in a different direction. And, like, really wrestles with that. Like, over the course of, like, 70 years of a life, plus the mm-hmm. lives of the parents, like, really deep in everything. And clearly this is a novel. You have time. There are digressions where I was like, I just spent 20 pages learning about the, the like, uh, the diaries of his, you know, runaway wife's mother. Like, what the fuck are we doing <laughs> here, Ian? Can we get back to the story? But, like, then as it goes on, you 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 get it. And you're like, oh, this is great. I'm glad I have all that background. But, like, again... I feel like if I watch this movie and I get to that point and then the movie ends 15 minutes later, I'd be like, I'm very confused as to what just happened. Here. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, Dune, Dune Part 2 is uh, is the post credits. I think it, it flashes on the screen, maybe. I don't know. You know. <laughs> well, the thing is that there's, yeah, not, it's, one. <laughs> there's not even like, you know, like a... a yeah, like a, a card. By the way, Johnny went to Florida. It's fine. Johnny did <laughs> yeah. not go to Florida. Johnny went to Florida. I actually, I was, I remember like, uh, maybe after the second, it was after the second time I watched it. I was like, wait, what actually happened to Johnny? It has James Gray talked about this. And there, <laughs> he did. He actually, and it's like really bleak. It's he's he's yeah, I think he uh, in an interview, I think with a deadline, I want to say he talked about that. He learned in the 90s, like several years after the events that Johnny was like 
or like the real life Johnny was killed in a in a drug deal in Jamaica, Queens. Are you Queens? fucking kidding me? Oh That's God. the movie. What? Is yeah. And he was just like, yeah, we just we lost touch. No and fucking I, shit, James <laughs> Gray. He's like, I have I have I could try, probably try to find out what happened, you know, do some forensics on or some stuff. But you know what? I just don't feel like doing it. I don't know. Maybe, I didn't go to jail. And at that point, this is I, not the story to tell of your life. Like, I don't know. This is like, yeah, like this is oh my God. Like, you know. We all do things in our lives and are a party to something and and we get the least of the trouble that we cause, you know? But that's not the climax. <laughs> you should wrestle with what happens after. Like it, it's like if I was like if the if like I made a movie of my life and it was like, ah, oh, college, what a time, all this stuff happening, about you know. Me being a, a fucking drunken asshole all the time and snorting Vicodin and then like asking a friend to drive me home even though we're both drunk but it's cold and I just don't want to walk because I'm very lazy and drunk. And then he gets taken to jail because he gets pulled over for drunk driving because of my lazy ass and then he kills himself. And I'm just like, well, I didn't have to walk home. End of movie. That's the word. That's not where that story ends. The story yeah. ends with how you handle that and how you grow from it and how you wrestle with it and make sure that you never do that thing again. And then you don't give an interview where you say like, yeah, apparently he fucking got murdered later on. I don't know. The movie <laughs> does not do anything like that. It does not grapple with the lessons learned. It just sort of cuts you off right there. To be completely honest, it doesn't sound like there were any lessons learned, Robin. <laughs> That's my point. I mean, that's my that's point. And maybe that's innovative. Maybe that's the innovative thing, which is like, it's not realistic. <laughs> no, Robin, <laughs> don't. We've, we've had a co-host that already did this. Michael Snydell. <laughs> yes. When, when discussing Ready Player One, was like, <laughs> maybe Steven Spielberg made this movie bad on purpose. And it maybe was like, what? That stuff would suck. <laughs> Like. Okay, so here's my here's my crazy person argument. I love this it. movie, yes. it, the innovative thing is that he does not do a very neat lesson at the end because he is 50 something now and still not healed from this. So there was no way that he could heal his main character. I'm not saying that's what makes it good or if anything, what I liked about it was the was the naturalism of the family. That's why I felt myself steeped in the movie, but I definitely questioned the whole framing. I questioned the whole reason of its existence. So, yes, I agree. I, I think, I think, yeah, we can quibble with like, what are the lessons learned and and what is, but you know, Robert's mentioned this, you've mentioned this. I mean, even Brian seems kind of interested in <laughs> some of the, uh, you know, satellite stuff, We've got a but disciple. it's like, but it's like, fuck the main character is not the interesting part about this film and i'm sorry james gray but that's that's you man and that like that weirdly i feel even like the biography of his grandfather would be more interesting i know I that's what i was, I was trying to say like anthony hopkins like give me that story because like he he talks about how he was treated racially um you know in university and that's why he didn't or at at the university level and that's why he didn't go to university and that's why he was kind of pushing Paul to be like an artist and like embrace it. 
and he he goes on this like long kind of uh diatribe a little bit about how like paul's name is what, what's paul graph he's like that's a great name because it doesn't say that you're jewish and Sounds like it my means father. that it means that you can slide through life and people are probably just going to be like oh look at this application from someone named graph huh okay so cool what this movie Good is american name what, you know? what, this, what this movie is about is exploring the generation of people who raised kids after jewish people became white during world war ii or like right after world war ii because I was about jewish to say, it people were not considered world war II to... no but that's when the, that's when the table started turning and then so in the 70s you have suddenly like the rise of like the jewish um sex symbol you know barbara streisand and like you know hairy guys and you know that was, was really a thing of the 70s <laughs> hairy guys. Yes, guys? that was a thing is that, is, is that not right. italian was too? the guy right <laughs> it, but it's it like you know the um oh my god what's his name gould yeah i just uh, said elliot gould. Gould. Yeah, yeah, gould. Yeah, elliot gould like there was the you have the rise of um you know, Jewish directors sort of doing the new Hollywood thing and bringing sexuality to Jewishness. And so there was that. And then Willie you have Allen, this generation. generation. Well, he is in many ways considered a sex symbol, like uh-huh. because because sexuality is so important to his yeah, no. work. So so what's interesting about this movie is that it's sort of it, it's wrestling with the not the question of whether Jews are white or not, but like what are Jewish people doing with that? That's what makes it interesting to me. I would, but it fails to and to sort of really solidly answer its own question. This is I oh god, I wish I'd seen this movie so bad. Um just because I'd be able to talk about it. I don't think I would have liked it, but I would have been able to engage in this conversation more. But we have talked a couple times this year about movies that seem to uh not realize who their main character should have been. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and I'm not saying like, uh, we all thought this, but I, I'll run them down for myself. I know that Fire Island, I mm-hmm. found um, the bespectacled um, less oh, yeah, ripped. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. To be the the more compelling character and the character who had like real, literally was the emotional climax of the movie. Was him finally speaking his fucking truth to his dick friends and like, you know, just being with him would have been a better movie. And then I feel like in Nope, we talked about how the themes of the movie themselves would have made more sense filtered through the eyes of Jupiter, um, who Madonna. also should have had a completely different character arc um, because of his past and everything. And now it sounds like this movie has a similar problem where like you guys are pointing out like the 12 different people in the movie. But then James Gray wouldn't make this movie. You know, that's the thing. It's like, maybe he was more interested in what happened to Johnny or not. And maybe realizes that this should have been Johnny's movie, but he recognizes that he can't make a movie about Johnny. It's not his story to tell. You could, and it's not his, but I I certainly think that, that, that is part of it. You know, I, I, that's why, you know, as I've been wrestling with this movie, you know, I do realize that James Gray real I mean, he's not he's not oblivious, right? He knows mm-hmm. he's there's this is a perspective that he probably would never be able to have. Um, and I think there is like some 
in, in some ways I can respect that like honesty. And then in some ways I I have to ask, okay, but then why are you making this movie? Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Like what are you if doing you can't, here, man? If you can't tell, I think what the most important, or I shouldn't say the most important, but if you can't tell or you feel like you can't tell the full story, then I guess what audience are you making this for? Right. And right. Mm-hmm. And are you thinking of, oh, what happens if a black person watches this movie? I wonder what their reaction will be. Or have you totally thought that because you have been honest that you cannot tell yes. that kind of story, that that immediately absolves you from not doing it and not thinking about a black audience and that a black audience will understand and will forgive. And then we'll kind of continue on with it as though, as what's been happening for, you know, like as what you think has been happening for the last hundred years of cinema. It's like making a racist (laughs) joke and then saying, oops, sorry, that was racist or like acknowledging that it was racist somehow, like you said, absolves you from the moment that just happened. I feel like that's, that was like a real, feature of comedy like in in like the last 15 years where people were sort of being people were kind of in, interested in the irony of of racist jokes like because if you acknowledge that it was racist suddenly that makes it not racist because because the funny part is that is the dichotomy between understanding that it was you know um a problem quote unquote problematic thing to say versus the fact that it already was problematic like I, I don't know if you've kind of noticed this but I just I feel like I see this a lot especially you know in the people that I spent a lot of time with you know in high school and college where it was just like oh haha ha, you can't say that um like that was the joke oh, in and of I, itself like, whoa you can't I, I, that, I thought I, I I thought I thought you were saying comedians were doing this not oh, I see it. not in, like your friends like <laughs> that's, my, that's that's very different no, like, like your shithead both. friends were were making jokes and then being like I'm man that both. sure is racist my friends oh, okay, and I cool. when we would but, when we would tell jokes to each other it was always you could tell a racist joke if it was against yourself so like my friend Mike Palian got to say all the Jewish jokes, which oddly were always the better joke. Like, you know, it was just incredible how much funnier his jokes were. Like, I would get the Irish ones. Tony would get the Italian ones. And we used to say, like, your name is a joke in and of itself, Italian. And then my friend CJ would get all the black ones. And it would be like, we'd, but we'd come at each other with just like, this is what I heard people say about me. And I'm going to give it to you now. But then it was funny because it's like, shit, that's such a good joke. And I'm never allowed to say it. Ugh. Those were good times. I've never felt that way in my life. You've never felt what way in your life? Like, oh shit, I can't tell this joke because uh, I'm not a part of that group. Well, yeah, it was the time. Well, actually, yes, I have one joke that I can do that with. Okay, Robin, what's that joke? All right, here's the joke. And I've I've told it before. Why did the blonde's belly button hurt? Okay, I I I don't know. Her boyfriend was blonde too. Oh no! <laughs> that was my favorite joke of all time. But I guess I can't That's... tell it because I'm not a natural blonde. Oh yeah, no. You're you're are you appropriating blondness? Wait, I have another. I have another um, <laughs> subculture joke. Okay, ready? Uh, oh boy. Why do wasps not hold orgies? I don't know. I'm not sure. Too many thank you notes. <laughs> Those are the only two jokes I know. <laughs> those are good. I like those. Those are yeah. Those are good. Um, I'm not gonna say any. No, and it was it was the type of thing where it's like <laughs> it's it was such a weird like thinking about just the way we're talking about this movie. 
And then like thinking about my, I don't know for like, I don't know if like, you know, my, I had a very diverse group of friends. I was lucky in that way. I like grew up in in a, in a fairly well, like, you know, comfortable suburb, but I had friends of like all spectrums of human experience. Like, you know, my friend CJ was black. Um, my babysitter was Ukrainian, like, like ran away after Chernobyl Ukrainian. Jesus. Her daughter was born um, with, I think like can ocular cancer and had oh to have one God. of her eyes removed like a couple of like very soon after being born because her mother had absorbed the radiation <gasps> of Chernobyl. Holy um, crap. So I helped my my nanny and her sister learn English and I helped to teach them like computer skills so they could like do other stuff. Like I I helped them with their schoolwork. It was great. You know, it um, sounds like you're about to make a memoiristic movie about this. Well, uh, yeah. How and, like, did they help you change as a person, Brian? I don't think they did. I I think that like uh, you know I think what it did if I if you were to force me to say I think it was just like patience. Like I think I'm one of those people who you will never get an Instagram video of me shouting at someone because I can't understand them because their accent's too thick or they don't have really good English. Like fuck that. Like I I I helped these like. I don't know, man. Now it's crazy. You're, I'm you're trying getting to think real of, James Gray on me. I'm here. trying to think of how old <laughs> they might have been, and I just have no idea. But like, yeah, I just it was it was nice to do that. I also have a very clear memory of being like, I'm gonna watch Jaws now, and she was like, Oh, I've heard of this movie. I should watch it. And I was like, If you want to, and just like me, at like I don't know, like ten or or maybe like eleven, having to like comfort this woman who was so afraid of this shark. And it's terrible, but like I'd never had seen anyone have such a strong reaction to a movie, and it actually like heightened my enjoyment of the movie because I was like, "This is how this movie is. This is like this the is theater of this movie." Critic. No, no, I think I'm a film critic just because I can't shut the fuck up. Um, and I, I know you're talking more about than any of us about this movie you haven't seen. Yeah, I I know it's crazy, but like, yeah, I I just I I was very lucky that I I had that and that I but like it is it does make it hard to kind of look back and like could I ever tell a story about my life because yeah I would I would feel like I was appropriating all these stories and like talking out of turn and speaking about things that I I had no idea about I'd have to like go back and interview every single person I was ever friends with. To be like, you know, did I filter? Am I like, you know, putting my lens on top of your experience? Like, do you feel like this is like a, a true reflection of what you were doing? Or the whole time that I was having a blast where you like fucking scared shitless? Well, that I mean, that's that's what Roma is, right? That's that's where that director literally like went back and started interviewing. Oh, that's right. And I like and like Roma. figured <laughs> figured out like his his like housekeeper's like interior life. Yeah. And that's what that movie kind of ends up kind of wrapping around. Also, you know, this big, you know, riot in the middle of the film or towards the end of the film. Uh, I guess you know, spoilers for Roma, but you know, all of that situation. But yeah, I mean, he he did the work. He did the research to not just tell his story, but also tell his his like housekeeper story, his 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 nanny story. And, you know, I feel like, you know, well, I mean, I guess, you know, uh, Johnny is dead now. uh, R.I.P. But, you know you could do that research still and still tell part of that story or, you know, just don't fucking have Johnny in this movie. You can do that too. But then it's Johnny Erasure. (laughs) 
do you want to be do you want to be accused of uh, uh like appropriation or erasure it's just that's those are your options i mean the other option is produce this movie work with someone else and, and make it a fiction them, you know yeah or yeah, look just... up or look up what happened to johnny work with his family i don't know i mean that's just a ridiculous it. thing or help um i don't know like young writers and directors who are of color make their stories like if you really gave a fuck then use your power that way instead you make it all about you eh. so is this I a hashtag know. justice for johnny campaign is that what's starting right here give us the johnny i don't, I don't want to make Ma- johnny a Ma- mascot like no yeah <laughs> johnny is a person no, it, it, it it you know and it's weird because one of the things that i like about james gray as a, as a director is that he seems to have like like you're watching the lost city of zed and you almost don't realize that you've watched a movie that's like as much about the wife as it is about that's the 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 guy the dude i can't remember his name until that that final that final image where she walks out and like suddenly it's like a forest and like you you realize that in in this movie you have watched someone else who has become like unmoored and lost and and he's he's very good at like developing the humanity of people in the background and then drawing it to the foreground in a very expressive way and it just feels like that got the fuck away from him in this one yeah yeah, I think I think it all it all runs away from him. I mean, I yeah, I I don't know. I I struggle to think about you know what is quote unquote the right um like version of this movie, you know. And um I mean, I know I've you know, I I think I've had a lot of conversations with people who like the movie and a few black critics who like the movie too who uh, have come from it from very personal angles. Um and uh, I don't know. It's, you know, it's complicated. And maybe that's what makes it great. You know, maybe that's what makes it great. And it makes it great art. And maybe that wrestling on screen is enough to, uh, you know, um, makes make its existence worth it for, for some people. But for me, you know, I just thought that uh, this film just in this story ran away from Gray, no matter his best intentions. Can we talk a little bit about the performances too? Because I feel like Anne Hathaway is getting a lot of attention for this movie, but I, other than sort of her putting on a, a Queen's housewife accent, I didn't really get much from it. And I think that's not really her fault because she just doesn't have much to do in this movie. She's I, at I, least one scene short. Yeah. <laughs> She's about one scene short. She, I mean, mostly disappears in the second half of the movie. You know, mm-hmm. she has that. Yeah. The first half, she has that comp, you know, the big, like, you know, when uh, Jeremy Strong's character beats down the door and then you don't see her again, basically, for the rest of the film. You know, well, and- I mean, once the grandfather dies, she kind of, you know, retreats inside herself a little bit, which is which is understandable. It, it is her father. Right. Um, and it's not Loser Jeremy Strong's. Behavior. What? Loser <laughs> behavior. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, I'm not going to unpack that right now. Uh, too late. Too late. Uh, but 
yeah, I, I mean, I think she kind of retreats inside of herself. And I think I think that is fair. I don't. But in terms of like performances, um, I felt like she was she was good. But it was also to me, this movie is just unsettling a because seeing Jeremy Strong with like not salt and pepper hair, but like salt or yeah, salt hair. I was just like, oh, I don't, I don't like this. Where the whole, you know, uh, show of succession is him trying to be hip and trying to be cool, and you're like, oh, okay, well, he now he's just like Grandpa Jeremy Strong, and you're <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with this guy. Um, but yeah, yeah, acting capital A acting. Uh, but the other thing is, is she is her character is not giving her performance any benefits in that way because she is so ineffectual as a mother in so many different ways. I mean, she's the one that's like yelling at her son to stop calling the, the uh, dumpling place and like is getting no traction whatsoever. And like the whole family is like in an uproar during this like dinner sequence that, you know, will probably be, burned into my brain of just how how unpleasant I was I was having like this is this is like the nightmare like you know dinner sequence when people talk about like Thanksgiving and like you know getting together with like extended family and you're just like oh Jesus please no don't don't let this fucking happen you know mm-hmm. um but it's it's one of those things where you're just like do something and I just, I think her character is just kind of without a paddle. She's, I I couldn't tell whether she was a housewife or not either. It seemed like it, but you never really see her at work and you never really see her like cleaning the house or doing anything like that. You just see her cooking and then you see her talking about running for like the school board and that's about it. And you're like, Okay, whoa, what what does she do? Does she do anything? I couldn't tell. You know, seem to be very focused. The, the family seems to be very focused on where their money is coming from, and the and the kid is totally oblivious. He's just like, my family's rich, and he doesn't get that his grandfather bankrolls mm-hmm. everything they do in the family, which is also something that was like very like a huge part of my life. The fact that like my grandmother um, basically like funded my whole childhood. Uh, and oh, a real Gilmore Girls situation. Well, no, I mean, I didn't go to private school, but like she bought my clothes, <laughs> she bought my toys. Um, we, she took me on vacations. It was, I also saw this in at least two of my other families. Uh, sorry, two other friends' families where like their grandparents were really the ones that controlled the purse strings. Um, and I don't, and, and I don't really know what that's all about because obviously it's just like we're only, you know, three. Uh, a sample size of three, but it does make you kind of wonder like what happens when the money runs out, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't, you don't really get a good sense of, of how much money they actually do have. Um, You definitely get the sense that like Paul is going to private school now because grandpa kind of like stepped in. And you don't get a sense of it. They're like, you're going to private school because we're paying for this. 
Yeah. Yeah. And and that's what they basically like say outright. And you're like, oh, OK, I, I thought I thought the family was well off. And it's like, no, the grandpa is. But mm-hmm. then it, it, it becomes this interesting thing when the grandpa dies and suddenly they're like, I don't know where the money's going to be coming from. And it's like uh, the, the grandma's still alive. And if the grandma dies, also, don't you get the money like i was just like what is going on right you know, now but, it, but when people die like the person is very important the person who holds the purse strings you know and, and their choices and what they want to happen is ultimately the most important thing like not whether the money exists because you know for all for first of all forever for what we know maybe the grandmother needs that money to survive like maybe she gets sick or something like you don't you don't know where that money you, that money basically is not like a well that you can forever dip from is, is what sure. i'm trying to get it is get across here and then also you don't know what choices uh the widow will make once you know her husband's gone maybe he was the one that was sort of whispering in her ear mm-hmm. about the private school like i'm not saying that's exactly what happens but just in real life families you know the the person who controls that really is the one making the decisions. And just because the money sort of keeps filtering down through the generations doesn't mean it lasts, doesn't mean it's well invested. Um, I've just seen this happen a lot in general. Sure. Shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves. Okay. I think we're done. <laughs> okay. Before we go, I mean, we, I do want to talk about final thoughts on the film. Yeah. I was Robert, about to say, we should, we should give our guests a chance to <laughs> state any final opinions he has. Yeah. I mean, um, God, what can I say about the film that I haven't already said? I actually have a question for you. Yeah. What's what, up? what did you take away the second time you saw the movie versus the first time? That's a great question. Uh, the the first time I saw the movie, I think I like wanted to throw my TV out of a window <laughs> <laughs> because I was just I was so angry at it, and I was so like, this is just truly just a white guilt. And I, mm-hmm. I want to say, the second time I watched it, I really did try to understand what Gray was wanted to do and tried to understand how Gray wanted to do it and the second time i ended up having more respect for him and the second time i I noticed more the the smaller details about the family life and how he sets up you know what ends up being johnny giving himself up and how he honestly comes very close to landing what he wants to do right he's just like it's just one misstep here, one misstep there on the tightrope, and he just kind of falls off. And, you know, it's not a perfect movie. And I've, I've you know, like when I've talked to the black critics, you know, we even the black critics who love it admit that it's not a perfect movie, right? And that the movie could have been much better on race. But that race, whenever you're talking about race, it is almost always imperfect. And anything that aims for perfection probably shouldn't be trusted. But, um, how but you know seeing it a second time i think i i I had more sympathy for gray and what he tried to do but i still didn't like it any more than the first the first time but Mm -hmm. i I definitely had more i definitely had more understanding of what he was trying to do and why he was trying to do it and and i had a bit more begrudging respect for for how he almost pulled it off 
That's very helpful. Thank you. All right. So those are our thoughts on Armageddon Time. It's in theaters now. It's coming to VOD in a couple of weeks, I believe, uh, our benevolent Lord and Master Jordan Raup said. So um, if in spite of everything we have said, you would still like to watch it, you can do that. <laughs> I will. I don't know. At this point, if I'm not able to like get all you guys back into a room to talk about it again, I don't I don't foresee my, me seeing it. <laughs> I I'm not like a completist of James Gray films, so maybe I'll just let this one slip by me. Which is I don't know. Yeah. Wait, before we go. Yeah, we Robert, need to do some Gotham talk. The I Riddler is on the what, loose. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of your favorite performances that have not been getting a lot of accolades or at least in at least at the Gothams? Um, I guess my favorite performance of the year that I, I haven't seen talked about anywhere is Regina Hall and, and you could choose two different movies Matt the mass uh master i should say and or honk for jesus save your soul mm. I, I think she is fantastic and honk for jesus save your soul in fact i think she has the best dramatic performance of the year she also has the same best she also has the best comedic performance of the year in the same movie uh, <laughs> i think the specificities of like the southern black church and the specificities of being a Southern black woman and a black woman in general um, and a good wife and, and all these things. I think she brings all these things to the forefront and it's such a multi-layered performance in a way that I, I don't think anyone else could have pulled it off except for Regina Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, with her comedy, uh, it's, you know, it's her line deliveries, it's her facial, it's, you know, like her sight gags and her facial expressions. And then it's the way how she's able to kind of modulate, right? Different kinds of humors, right? Going from a black Southern humor to a, a black Southern religious humor. Um, and, uh, um, and when the, the dramatic kind of like, climax of the movie i think she's absolutely heartbreaking and and fascinating and brilliant and when she does if you've never heard the term before praise miming (laughs) (laughs) um that that is you know i think a great not just emotional performance but also physical performance too i mean it's just it's just a tremendous tremendous performance this year that i i haven't seen talked about much well i haven't heard many people talk about the movie I've heard that, like, it kind of came and went, unfortunately. Yeah, which I so it came to like theaters and Peacock, right? Like it's yeah, I believe it came out yeah, to theaters and Peacock, and it kind of got dumped for lack of a better term just before yeah. TIFF. You know, it mm-hmm. was in that graveyard. Yes, it was, yes, yeah, like that late August. <laughs> yeah, that's always uh, what's crazy is that like a couple of years ago this is the kind of movie that i would have seen posters for all over the dc metro and probably would have quietly made like 80 million dollars mm. and now it's like it's on peacock hooray nobody goes to peacock <laughs> i know like i had peacock for like a hot second like i watched a couple things on it i was like this is great and then i was like yeah i'm not re-upping this subscription <laughs> I honestly don't even know what I can still watch on Peacock because a lot of these things are like, yeah, yeah, no, if you're willing to watch commercials, you can watch the first episode of Suits. <laughs> it's like, all right, great. But none of the rest of them, hmm. which is a shame because like she's awesome. And um, 
Who was oh who was her co her co her co star in that? Sterling right Sterling yeah Sterling K Brown who's also Just fantastic like, in incredible. a in a rare comedic performance from him I know I, right <laughs> well I mean I was about to say he he was he was this is so dumb he was so fucking funny in the Predator like, what is that the, the or was it the okay this is the problem when they name these predators it was no it is called the the, the predator. predator yeah because he, he's got that joke predator. he's got that joke <laughs> right because he's like we call them predators and and olivia munn's like you know but like a predator eats its prey like this is more like sport hunting he's like yeah but we tried that and predators sounded more cool right and everyone's like yeah he's <laughs> like you're fuck yeah it does he was like he was just really good at like hitting those like badass action movie zingers. And that takes like true, real comedic timing. And so I really wanted to see him in like an actual comedic role. So honestly, if this is on Peacock, I'll have to see if it's on the tier that I can watch. Cause I do want to watch this. Well, now Especially you've got a Canada. rousing uh, recommendation. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. Like I highly suggest it's uh, both, both the performances are, are really great, but yeah, I mean, I've loved Regina Hall, her entire career from the jump um and she just she always astounds never gets the credit that's due to her (laughs) unfortunately maybe one day she should have won everything for support the girls like oh she's so fantastic in it yeah so good performance and a good good movie great movie let's just say it. it's a great movie (laughs) um robin do you have other gotham related queries no i was just curious what you know because i'm the kind of person like i like to pick out a lot of un not underseen or like underappreciated, but like, I just know what I like, you know, whether it's like the big Kate Blanchett performance or, you know, Dolly De Leon in, in Triangle of Sadness. Like I, I want to really hone in on the, the performances that really moved me big or small. So I'm always really curious. What are the other small performances? When I say small, like maybe under discussed performances that other people are enjoying maybe in movies I have or haven't seen. So hence my question. Which you answered. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. Well, that's awesome. Um, Robert Daniels, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about Armageddon time. Thank you for having me on. I, I, I hope I come on again sooner than two years from now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was great. And like you also certainly opened up a lot of things that I hadn't thought about the movie or you just sort of... Um, expressed them in a way i was like yes exactly that's what i couldn't say so much more <laughs> so eloquent than i wish say. someone would push this fucking child down some stairs <laughs> Listen, I, mean, I, I also said that I- <laughs> which is funny that apparently the movie involves a lot of beating of children and you were still like yeah but do it again but worse <laughs> <laughs> like you know you may have hit him with a belt but maybe next time pick up the iron like make sure it's still plugged in i don't know this kid deserves a lot <laughs> <laughs> real fucked up anyway so that's it for today uh do, you know armageddon times out go check it out if you you want to just disrespect everything that we just said um don't forget that you can go to patreon.com slash film stage to give us your money don't forget to go to mubi.com slash film stage for a free 30-day trial of movie and uh i feel like that's about it uh Robin bar what are we talking about next time I think we're still in discussion about what it's going to be. So I don't want to say, say the wrong thing. All right. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Follow us on social media and maybe we'll announce it or just tune in next time and be surprised. 
Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, until then, let's tell the fine people at home where uh, we can be found between now and the next time that we're in their ears. We begin with our guest, Robert Daniels. Where can people find your work online? Like I said, just about everywhere. <laughs> um, for now, I guess I'm somewhat on Twitter, not on Twitter, depending on how long Twitter lasts before it <laughs> falls into a black yeah. abyss. Yeah, we haven't talked about Twitter at all. I like I I personally have seen no difference, which I think means I've curated my following and my my timeline very well. No, it's, apparently it's, to everyone else, it's a fucking shit show or something. I don't know. It's not really the difference. It's just like advertisers are pulling out. And Musk is talking about this thing being close to bankruptcy. It's like, oh, this might actually end. Okay, that's interesting. Also, I think people have had like big, their like follower counts have like dropped. I think mine just dropped by like two hundred people. Mm, that's <laughs> so. interesting. I haven't even looked at that. I'm now. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it live on air. Uh, this also involves me remembering what the fuck my follower count was. Good luck, I sir. think I've gained three followers. <laughs> i'm still at at least around the same number but uh but yeah so my my twitter handle is at 812 film reviews um i also have a sub stack that's the same title 812 film reviews um that i put out a uh, um uh, thoughts and 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 sometimes like reviews i or, or pieces that i don't have placed anywhere else but i have placed on there and I have a monthly newsletter that will, if you missed all my work during the month, it's right in there, links and all. So either one of those nice. two platforms is good. I bet the owners of Substack are like that clip of uh, Charlie and Mac in the back of a limousine from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia right now. Just like top hats, champagne, dollar bills. <laughs> Cause they like, have been adding a lot of features and they're like programmers. I don't know what they pay them. They, they are working around the <laughs> clock because I think every single day I've gotten an email about we, we just added this, a chat feature. We just yeah, added verification. We just added this, which is like not what I need in my life, but I had been following a couple people on Substack, and it was just funny that suddenly it was like, Hey, 76 people who, you know, have Substacks now. And I'm like, okay, this is, untenable <laughs> i can't i can't with this fucking nonsense um but i am i'm gonna have to start doing it because you're right i i when when musk bought twitter i was like what are how bad could like even if and i just was not prepared for like the level of fucking insanity yeah the clown show is great it's it is truly one of those things where you I met a guy at the dog park the other day and he was a strange man. And he told me that he invested based on the cycles of the moon. And I, cool, 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 I, cool. I was like, all right. Yeah. But I, and I tried to play it off. I was like, Oh, so you're just saying like the natural breathing cycles of an economy happen to align with. And he's like, <laughs> no man, like it's the moon. And I was like, that's the most batshit fucking crazy thing I've ever heard any human being say to me in person. And, he and then he like, hops in his Tesla, right? He had, oh, I don't know what it was. It might have been an Escalade. He, he, like when he went to his car, he went into a very large, expensive looking car that I did not think he would get into. Um, but it was funny because he told me something. He said, millionaires don't believe in astrology, but billionaires do. 
And I was like, okay, wait. <laughs> <What>? Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a real Justin Timberlake. Uh, you know what's really cool? Yeah. Facebook. A, a billion Not the dollars. Facebook. Yeah, yeah. But that's the type like, of thing where man. he said that, and I was just immediately like, are you like are you the reincarnation of like a Vanderbilt? Like who the fuck says that out loud to another person? And then he was like, yeah, we're like, you know, hopping in our RV and we're going to one of our other houses cuz it's going to get too cold here soon. And I was like, this man, I'm I shouldn't have made fun of him. I should have like asked him sort of some stock tips and then just retired cuz this guy <laughs> knows what's going on. But okay, anyway, that's, um that's a long way of you, saying you don't, that like <laughs> Billionaires think you, in ways that are different than normal human beings, apparently. And apparently Elon Musk's way of thinking is the most batshit out of control, crazy ass thing ever. Brian, you just don't know what kind of grandpa he had. OK, you just don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It never. Will. Right. I don't know if he's coming back anyway. So follow Robert Daniels and all those places, depending on how much faith you have in Twitter. Uh, probably best to go on Substack. Substack seems like it's going to be around for a while. All right, let's move on. Bill Graham, where can people find your stuff online? Uh, you can't really find it online because I don't do very much. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Billstagram. Um, you can find me on the Slack channel, always mixing it up, always willing to uh, trade barbs with Seaver um, and anybody else who uh, ruffles my feathers the right way. Um, oh, I, all right. I'm, gonna immediately, I'm going on Slack right now to say, hey, Seaver, Bill says you ruffle his feathers the right way. I think you're in. <laughs> Put a daddy in parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> Ruffle My Feathers Daddy. You can find <laughs> Ruffle My Feathers Daddy shirts in our merch store on Cafe Press. <laughs> limit, limit to, uh, you, you must order at least three, though. Otherwise, you just, we, we just can't afford it. We can't, can't, can't make it happen. Um, but yeah, uh, you can also find me on Twitter at CableBFG. But honest to goodness, I just post whatever I post on Instagram. Instagram on Twitter, which always is a clusterfuck because then it just doesn't port over right. Yeah, um, I don't even so know yeah. how that's working nowadays. I miss the days yeah. when you would post on Instagram and like it would put the picture there and not just a link. Yeah. Maybe we can get back to that. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. When, when they started hiding the, the photos, I was like, well, this means fuck all. <laughs> so what a waste. Um, all right. Robin Barr. What about your own self? Easy peasy. You can find me on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. You can also find me on Letterboxd and Instagram or whatever. Um, Easy to find me. And uh, yeah, no no, no world famous Robin bars. Huh? No. Um, There's one. (laughs) Well, that's kind of a long story. She spells it the same way as me, but got married when she was like 18 or something. So (laughs) Brian is playing you off. I'm not playing you off. This song is five minutes long. Robin can go on for a while. I don't want to. First of all, I know I can, but I choose not to. Um, you can also no, sometimes I'm, I'm saying I give you permission to. I'm not being like this bitch shirt no, can go on. I I want some cake. So I'm Is good. there cake waiting for you? I thought there, <laughs> there was just weird smeared fish. I already ate my cake weird is a smeared lie. fish. Did you eat gonna... the smeared fish on the podcast, Robin? <laughs> yeah, because I know how to do my shit. I'm like Bill. <laughs> Unlike Bill who will open a bag of potato chips over the microphone. <laughs> I am nothing if not profesh. Yes, uh, Trey Profesh. Um, I 
Meanwhile, can be found uh, on on Twitter still. You know, until it dies. Do you usually watches the movies? I I sometimes will watch these movies. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll get to see the next one. This is a this is a. I am literally shocked that I'm still awake right now. Uh, this has been a rough weekend. So. Yeah, uh, find me on Twitter at Brian Jerowen. Uh Instagram at Brian Jerowen. Uh You can find me uh, at Brian Jerowen on Le- the Letterbox. You can go to BrianJerowen.com, a website that I have not updated in probably a year and a half, but I'm there. And um, yeah, don't forget to go to InkwellWhiskey.com or SchmidtSpirits.com to learn about uh, the whiskey that I make, which is pretty awesome. We just released a bourbon. It's fantastic. People seem very enthusiastic about it. Anyway. That's it for today. I am going to go watch Michael Bay's seminal Criterion Collection-worthy film, Armageddon. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and have a great week. You always forget about the strings in the background of that song. It's just like another level. You do, but I don't. You I build dreams it. about those.